Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. The world is so much, me, my, mine, I'm in power, grumble about everybody who's in authority, I could always do it better, they're bad, they're this, they're that, I hate this, hate that, run up all, against all these people, they have a problem with authority, Christians are the ones to show you this is how you submit under authority. Now stay with me now, okay, let me go back to all those authority figures, whether they're pastors or parents or, or padres, so I can keep all my P's together, fathers or husbands in the family, listen carefully. We who are in authority really ought not to be in authority if we cannot live under authority. Did you catch what I just said? We ought not to really be in authority if we can't live under authority. And so those of us who are in authority, if anyone should show what we submit to, we should demonstrate to you a full consecration of surrender, submission to the Lordship of Christ in our life from the inside out totally and then secondly to serve all those that are under us to help them be all that God would have them to be whether it's in the military or the government citizenry or in the family or in the church so we're doing it to serve the body that's out here that's the that's the illustration now some of you are saying wait a minute you mean it's this I I need to submit to all of this that's the will of God what happens if I have an authority over me that is really against God all right This is why I wish I had hours to teach this because there are answers. It's not like God uh, double talks us. It's not like God contradicts himself. He never does. So let's just talk about government. And for our sake, our government here, we could talk about if you lived in under another political scenario. And I will do that if you needed me to do that. But right now we live here. I like to use the word cooperation. And cooperation doesn't necessarily have to be compromise. Cooperation could mean very much this that in our governmental system, even though they are wanting us to do something or to agree to something that we think is wrong, we do have options. So what I like to say is we cooperate with the options that our government, that God has allowed us to have through our government, and we take advantage of those. What are some of the options? I'm going to give you some right now, but come up with more if you'd like. Here's what we have. I have a voice. I can do anything that I want. I have free speech. I can speak against a particular law or something that is put upon me that I don't agree with. And I would be glad to do that anywhere at any time because when I speak against something, I'm really speaking for something because I'm speaking for the Word and for the Lord. And when I speak for Him, if this is of Satan or of, of not of God, I'm speaking against it and I have the right to do that. Praise God, I live in this country. And although I think some of those freedom of speeches are starting to be questioned. The second is I have an opportunity to vote. Are you registered to vote? Do you vote? Do you vote every time or do you wait until the final election and then you kind of vote? Do you vote for all the things that you are permitted to vote for? Do you do that? Thirdly, do you petition? There are times for you to activate the citizenry to be able to come behind that which is truth, that which is right, and that you have an opportunity to petition. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Next, you can lobby. Now, there are certain laws and facets of lobbying, but we can cooperate under the lobby system to have our voice heard when we think the government is having us do something we don't agree with. Next, maybe last, is we could run for office. Would to God that we'd have some here that would actually go into office and by modeling and mentoring their colleagues that they would be able to have a voice in a place of position where we don't vote, but they vote for us and they can vote for that which is righteous. Now, I didn't want to leave out the prayer part, but to me that sounds like, duh, 
you know, duh, we should pray. I get all of that, but I think there's some other things that we can do to help us in this spirit. Now, when we've done what we could, and they still ask us to do something that we think is wrong, and we break their law, their law doesn't make it right, all right? Truth makes it right. Law doesn't do anything. Then I need to be willing to go to the next step, which is the word suffer, which is point number five. I wanted to move to point number five because this is an important point. And notice the transition. I trust Christ as Savior. I'm now spirit-filled. I need to take care of my mind, my heart, my body, especially with sexual sins because Scripture is just from Genesis to Revelation deals with what that does to destroy you, the, the sin of you, that inner sin, that sin you commit is a sexual issue there, and it will affect families and, and legacies and money and everything else. So it deals with that as God's will. Be pure, be holy. Then it talks about being submissive, that one of the hallmarks of Christianity is a submissive spirit. And what, why couldn't we be submissive? We're told and taught to be submissive because we're supposed to submit to Christ a greater authority. Who's our model? Christ submitted to God the Father, right, when he was on the earth. He taught us to do His life is now hid in us, living it out. So we can have that model of submission, except we can be strong and courageous to stand which is truth when we have the government telling us to do something or someone over us telling us to do something that is anti-scriptural. Then we're to submit. We've got two authority figures. Who do we submit to? Obviously the Word of God. What do we do when they ask us to do something we don't like? You make an appeal, you dialogue all of this, and then the final thing to do is you've got to disobey man so you can obey God. And then the hammer falls on us, and we have suffering. Now, if you will, look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 19. Here it says, Beloved, do not be surprised. Peter is writing this to uh, believers, and he says, At the fiery ordeal among you. Some people think that that's a literal fire ordeal when the Christians were being burned, especially during the time of Nero, etc., which comes upon you, but it's for your testing. It's helping to get rid of the dross, kind of burn off some of the sucker things on you as a tree, as though some strange thing were happening. I don't, it's not strange. This has happened to Christians all along. If you need to know someone who also went through a fiery ordeal, it'd be Daniel in the lion's den. It's, it's not strange. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. I'll talk about that in a moment. So that also at the revelation of His glory, when He comes back, you may, be, you may rejoice too, but it's different. Not just rejoicing in you that you passed the test, but it's exaltation of the Lord. You're giving glory to the Lord. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Man, the whole reason you're reviled for the name of Christ is you went public with your faith. And look what God is doing. It rests upon you, the Spirit, the glory, Christ. You see the Trinity all in that little phrase, Make sure that none of you suffer, though, as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a troublesome meddler. I mean, it goes from murder all, all to just someone who talks on the lobby or, or over the telephone or sends a nasty email to someone. Don't be a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed. Why? Because Christians aren't to be ashamed. But it's to glorify God in this name, in the name of Christ. For it is time for judgment to begin where? At the household of God. That would be the church of God. I don't mean the denomination or religion. I'm talking about the whole body of Christ. And if it begins with us first, underline that, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? Well, it's a lot worse for them than it is for us. And if, it's difficult, if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, that means you and me, it's challenging for us to get saved. You know, and I've got to count the cost. I got saved and my world changed. I think I told some of you this story. I trusted Christ on a Thursday. I came home Thursday night, and I told my dad, I said, Dad, I, I, I trust that Christ is my Savior, and I'm going to heaven, and you're going to hell. 
You could, that's what I told my dad. We, we danced around the dining room table. No, no father wants a 16-year-old son tell him you're going to hell. And I did that. I went to school on Monday, and I told all the friends around me, hey, I'm going to heaven, you're going to hell, all that kind of stuff. I did it wrong. I get that. I get that. I've learned. I've come a long way, baby. I got all that. But at the same time, when you go public, you're going to have these things. So being a Christian, there is a challenge. There is difficulty with it. But I'm telling you, no matter how difficult it is here, it's going to be glorious in heaven. But it goes a little bit further, and this is the last part of it. It says, therefore, those who will suffer according to the will of God. How do you suffer according to the will of God? You did your suffering because you were doing the will of God. If you suffered because you were a murderer, a thief, or just a meddlesome person, then you deserve to suffer. But if you suffer according to the will of God because you did that which is right, then here's what you do. You entrust your soul to the faithful creator in doing what is right. And I wish I had, I wish I had more time today because the example is Christ. When he was mocked and reviled and all of this, he didn't mock and revile back. He silently took it as the lamb went to the slaughter. But how did he do that? The context says because he trusted his Father in heaven. He gave it all to God the Father in heaven and he obeyed. He submitted and he suffered at the same time. So submission often will come with suffering together. And let me tell you, you are in good company because Jesus did that. That's being Christ-like and that's his will to be Christ-like. Look at a couple more things here. It says here, what are some of the principles in suffering? We're to suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. I, I think you got that. I mean, um, if, if you get a speed, a ticket for speeding and you suffer because you can't afford it, well, let me tell you, you deserve that. I deserve that if I do that. I'm suffering because I did wrong. But if I do right and I suffer, that might happen. Some of you are on your job. I've heard this a lot of times. Christians finally get so surrendered to the Lord. They come in a little early. They take their breaks just the right amount of time. They come back from break on time. They leave a little bit past working hours. When they're at work, they're doing a good job. They're fully focused. They're not watching Netflix and Hula for hours while they're being paid. Well, that's another story. So let me go back to this. So they're doing all that they should do, but their fellow employees are saying what to them? Slow down. You don't need to do so much. We don't have to do so much. You're going overboard. You're making does look bad. And you say, I, I'm, I, I, I am being watched every moment of every second of my job right now. And it's the Lord and he sees my heart and I'm doing this unto him. You creep, you can't do this. We're not going to invite you to the company picnic. All right, that's suffering for doing what is right. And so that's what we have to take a stand for. You might say, I'll never reach them for Christ. Maybe not now, but when the ship goes down and they're looking for a lighthouse, they're going to look to you because you're the rock that did what was right. And they are now turning to that which is right and they'll come to you. Notice number two, we are to suffer with rejoicing. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. There's some people that say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm trying to do it right. This is God's will. I have to suffer. As a Christian now, I'm submitting. I have to suffer. Here's what I'd like to say to you. You get to suffer as a Christian. That's a reward because you're like Jesus then. So it's not I have to. It's that we get to. Number three, we're to suffer because we're Christian. That just happens. It says, for it's been granted unto you for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. I put in my, my notes here, I put, no under the radar Christians allowed. Okay, you can't go under the radar, all right? You've got to go public when you're a Christian. Not to get saved, not to stay saved, but because you are. And we're to suffer even in evangelism. The book of Acts is all about that, and I can take you through the book. But when you're a Christian and you really go public and you tell people you need to trust Christ, you know what you're really trying to say to that person as kindly as you can? Here's what the person says when you say you need to trust Christ. 
I'm a stupid fool. I've been wrong all my life. I'm a dummy. I better do this. I can't be a dummy. I'm going to do it my way. Don't you tell me what to do. That's what they're hearing. And they dump all that junk back on you when you just tell them, love, God loves you. He wants you. I've had a knife held to me. I've had a loaded gun held, held to my head when I tried to tell people about Jesus Christ. I had thugs come up against me and encircle me and rub their bodies against me with venom and anger because I was trying to tell them how to have eternal life. And I'm going to help. It's going to happen. You don't want it to happen, but from time to time that it does. In evangelism and just being a Christian. And then we're to suffer on behalf of fellow believers. Sometimes you have to stand with another believer when truth is being told. And it may come down on that other person. It may come down on you as well. But it happened to the Apostle Paul as well. All right? One more that's not in your notes. It didn't get in your notes, and I apologize for that. And that is... In Ephesians chapter 5, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says that we should give thanks for this is the will of God concerning you. And I think part of our will of God is just to say thank you, thank you, thank you. When we say thank you, that means God did something for us that we couldn't do ourselves. That means we're dependent, we're humble, we're needy, we're helpless, we're hopeless without God. And I say thank you. We recognize that he is large and in charge, as we often say. So do you have a thankful heart? I wanted to get to number nine because this is going to start pointing us in the direction of what do I buy a Honda or a Camry or a Chevy or a Ford or what do I do? Do I paint the bedroom white or beige or green or blue or what do I do? Listen carefully. You need to listen to this now. I, I, I know I'm running out of time, so I'm going to leave this with you. We might be able to open it up the next time. Psalm 37, 4 and 5 is a verse that is often marked on people's Bibles. They have it in bla- in, in um, embossed on their Bible. Most people have it memorized. They have it underlined in their script, in their, in their Bible. It's the verse they live by. It's their favorite verse. I've preached a lot of funerals, and I see it there on the, the tombstones, and they'll have Psalm 37, 4 and 5. It's a great verse. That verse is the verse that's activated most accurately when we do the other verses that I've just taught you tonight, or today. It seems like tonight we've been here so long. I know. Okay. And here's what it says. Delight yourself in the Lord. I think I've already said enough about that. Delight yourself in the Lord. Just delight yourself in the Lord. To delight yourself in the Lord is to delight yourself in His Word, in His life, His Word, His way of doing things, who He is. And it says, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And I like that. That's an important point. The Lord doesn't give you what you desire. He gives you what He desires. He puts His desires in your heart. And once he gives you those desires, then he will give you those desires there from him when you delight yourself in the Lord. So the idea is to live out the principles I've given to you over the last three weeks. Stay on the move for the Lord, living through those things, and the desires that you'll have will be given to you from the Lord. Let me see if I can be more frank. If you like a Chevy and that's your desire and you'd like to have that, then get a Chevy. If you like a Ford, get a Ford. If you want your room painted beige or blue or polka dot or whatever else you want to throw on the wall, you, you can do that as long as you are owning and living out consistently what we've already taught you in these other areas. Because when you do these, all of a sudden your heart changes. You now are delighting yourself in the Lord. And it's weird how those old desires, when you wanted something before, it begins to change. 
Let me give you a practical illustration. All, most men, I don't want to just label men, maybe ladies do too, but most guys, after a certain time of driving their car for so long, they start thinking how nice it would be if we would get a new car. So they kind of kick the tires, they look at the magazines, they read the books, they see what's out there, watch the things on TV. They got all these different bells and whistles on the car. So we begin to really, I, and then we start justifying it. You know, we need a new car. This one's starting a nickel and diamonds. We come up with all these, re- we want to get that car that's out there. And we get lost in all of that. And then sometimes we end up buying that and we create a financial hardship or catastrophe on the house. Now, I don't have anybody in mind if you've just done that and you've had this discussion last night. I apologize. But back to this. But when I find myself, okay, I want this car. I want to do this. I want to get all of this stuff. But if I slow myself down and then I take my temperature by what we've just learned from Scripture and I make sure that I am not selling myself, I am very honest that I'm living out this stuff, certain things happen. One thing that happens is I begin to question, what is my motive? Is this the right timing? Will this hurt me spiritually, the family spiritually? Will it ruin my testimony? Is this the best deal? Is this the best timing to get this car? Should I even have it all? Maybe I should just drive this bucket of bolts until it falls apart. I don't know. But all of a sudden, God starts taking over me so that when I make the decision, watch this now, I make it knowing that I've done all these things. I prayed about it. I'm sensing, yeah, I, I am given the freedom by God to get this. I go ahead and get this. If I have troubles with this or challenges with this, because I did it right, I won't go back and have that buyer's remorse because I knew I did what was right. So that means God has a great purpose in me having this, what I'm having here right now, and I'm going to use it for the glory of God. So I want to give you freedom to decide where you want to go to eat dinner. Go wherever you want to go. Some of the greatest decisions, Carol, I've big decisions in our life regarding ministry and ministries and directions of ministry has been based on we've done all these principles, our board has done these principles, we really sought the Lord on this thing, and then it's, what do you want to do? I think I want to do that. Go ahead. And God bless that. Why? Because it wasn't self-will that did it. It was His will, the desire He placed in our heart. And I leave you with that, folks. We have a loving God that cares for you, has got a wonderful plan for your life. Let's continue this study when I get back on island again. Let's pray, shall we? <clears throat> Dear ones, I really love you. I love the Lord, and I am so glad that the Lord has given this to me. Now, it may not have, again, answered all your questions about God's will, and it, but it's answered so much to get you going in the right direction now that it's like once it's moving, you're easy to steer. And so get into these verses here. Live them out. Own them for yourself celebrate that you're doing God's will. I trust the Christ. Hey, I'm in God's will. I'm letting him influence me. Hey, I'm in God's will. Yeah, I'm living a life of separation, sanctification. You know, that spirit-filled life of life of holiness and purity. I'm doing that. I'm surrendering myself to the Lord. I'm, I'm trying to do that every day, but I, I know that's where I want to go. I check things out with him as I start my day. Teach me to do your will, O oh Lord. I want to know it and do it. At the same time, I'm willing to suffer. If that's what I'm supposed to do, I'll do all of that. At the same time, I'm also going to say thanks when I need to say thanks and thank the Lord for everything that he's given to me. I'm coming together with all of that. I'm telling you, you are in God's will. Now just bask in the glory of the goodness of God as he wraps his arms around you and says, you are in my will and you're safe. Now again, it starts with you trusting Christ as Savior. Please trust him right now. You don't have to know the whole Bible. Just know that it is God's mind and voice on paper. And simply admit to Him that you're a sinner. We all are. We've all done this and we continue to sin. Therefore, we need a Savior. 
no person, no belief system, and no religious guru will ever be a savior. Jesus is the savior because he is Lord. Christ died on the cross and he rose again and he said to us who are sinners, no good deed you do will ever unlock the doors of heaven for you. Because if you did good deeds, you might be proud. And he says, that's not going to get you there. Would you accept the payment Christ made for you on the cross? Jesus says, he that believes on me has everlasting life. For God so loved you that he gave his only son that if you believe in him, you wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Have you trusted him? Are you absolutely certain that you have? And if you have, then you can be absolutely certain that he sealed the deal with his spirit. So the spirit is now resident in you. And if he sent you to hell, he'd send a spirit to hell after you trusted Christ, and he's not going to do that. So now as a believer, is that spirit not only resident, but will you allow him to be dominant in your life? And then if he's dominant in your life, do you want to mess your body up with sensuality, lust, passion? So abstain from moral impurity. Get away from it as far as you can. In your thought, talk, walk, stay away from it. And while you're running from it, flee to righteousness, holiness. Flee to the Lord. Flee to godly people that will encourage you. And together, let's hold each other up to a standard of sanctification and righteousness. And then submit. Who have you been fighting that's an authority figure in your life? It even tells us to submit to bosses that are essentially low life because we're doing it for the sake of Christ. But if we have to say no, we're going to do it with grace to obey God rather than man. And are you living a life of a thankful spirit? In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. And then you can self-determine. You can determine by yourself what you want to do in other areas when you haven't violated those others. So is there anyone in here that's ready to trust Christ as Savior? I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand and then put it down when you're done. Now when you slip up your hand, that's indicating to me silently that today was the day that you trusted Christ as your Savior so you can enter into the world of truly discovering God's purpose for you in this life your sins are forgiven and a home in heaven is waiting for you but you'll have a relationship with him now so if you're trusting Christ as your savior just like walking an aisle and filling out a card won't save you from hell raising your hand or me praying for you won't either but if you've trusted Christ you're already heaven bound and I want you to raise your hand just so I could pray for you as a friend and maybe as a pastor but I care for you Is there there anyone ready today to step over that line and trust Christ as your Savior so you can begin the discovery of the rest of God's will for your life? It's a good, it is a gracious, acceptable, and perfect will. And He has it for you. And you're special. And He wants to reveal it to you. And that's where it begins. All right, with heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're trusting Christ in here today, never done it before, and you want me to pray for you, would you slip up your hand right now? Anyone at all? Thank you. Thank you. Christians, take a moment now while I pray, and you pray too, silently, but you pray. Don't let me lead in prayer. Let me, don't let me only pray, and you pray. But now you pray for the discovery of His will. 
He is not a God who's so far away that we just study him as a religious leader somewhere in history. You are vitally connected to him because the Spirit of God regenerated you, born you again, and now the Spirit is inside of you. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have begun to reveal your will to us in your word, and then you made it so clear because you said, this is your desire, this is your will, this is the will of God, and not to be foolish and miss your will. So help us, Father, to continue to drive deeply into your word and trust that your will is good and perfect and acceptable for us. And knowing that you didn't make this world junky, we made the world junky. You made us. And now, Father, you have a plan for our life, and it's never too late to get back on the right track again. And so, Lord, together we learn your word, and we want to discover it. I thank you for those that indicated by an uplifted hand that today they were trusting you as Savior. I thank you that you promised to them that they're saved, not me. And that, Father, that they will never lose that salvation and that you keep it for them and that this is the beginning of the rest of the discovery of your will for their life. And, oh, Father, I am so excited to see what you're going to do no matter how young or old they are when they started on this journey now of discovering your will. Thank you, Father, for that. Now, Father, I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.